Hello, this is Dr. Mike Barnett with the First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Thank you so very much for tuning in to our podcast, and I pray that today's message will be a blessing and an encouragement to you. We are engaging our people at First Baptist Church in an emphasis called Who's Your Mission? It is a challenge to personal soul winning and personal evangelism for the year 2023. We've asked our people to ask God for at least one soul to be burdened for that they might go after that soul and win them to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the theme of these current messages. And I pray that they will encourage you to be a soul winner and go after one soul that needs to be saved now and to know Jesus now. I pray these messages will help you. And again, thank you for tuning in. that has breath, praise the Lord. That's one reason, among many, I like choirs in a church. A lot of the, a lot of churches don't have choirs anymore, but I think if, if uh, you got people who want to praise the Lord, regardless of their sound, and you got a music man who believes the Bible's more important than a hymn book, then turn them loose, amen? And so I appreciate our choir and orchestra. If you want to sing in the choir, they're open. They'll take you. And if you need to play in our orchestra, you might play an instrument and not have one. We can work that out for you. Uh, so um, we uh, need uh, more folks in our orchestra because we had a lot of graduations. And uh, my wife played the saxophone in high school, gave it up for many years, and then when we started our orchestra a few years ago, huh? Yeah, she played in college, too. I didn't know that. Anyway, when she started dating me, she didn't have time for it. But anyway, uh, she, when we started our orchestra, she dusted it off and got it out again and commenced to playing. And you could do that, too. Romans chapter 8, if you will. Romans chapter 8. One question I get often. Uh, is, Dr. Mike, when are you going to preach verse by verse through Romans? And uh, people ask me that question often, believe it or not, when we start a new book. And I will tell you this, uh, I'm sure it'll be soon, but as the Lord leads, but I love the book of Romans. One of my most influential uh, authors who's influenced uh, my um, preaching and ministry, uh, was a fellow from England by the name of D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He wrote a 14-volume set on Romans. I started reading it and read, have read every word of it, some volumes more than once. And he died, or retired rather, before he finished, and so he stopped at Romans 14. And I wrote his heirs an email uh, through the uh, foundation that they set up in his honor and said, at least get his notes and print out his notes so we can have chapter 15 and 16 of Romans. And uh, I never heard back from him. But uh, he said, he was asked why he doesn't preach through Romans. And he did eventually. Uh, and, of course, couldn't finish. But he said, because I have not mastered... Romans 6 yet. He said, when I understand Romans 6 on a level that I can explain it and put it into the hearts and lives of my people, he said, I'll preach through uh, the book of Romans. And so Romans 6, 7, and 8 are key chapters for the Christian. They are key chapters for the believer. I would encourage you to study Romans 6, 7, and 8. Um, my Bible, Romans 6, 7, 8, is marked up and written in and highlighted. And I have notes of all kinds from Romans 6, 7, 8, personal devotional notes. Because it's rich for the believer. 
And I'd encourage you to take some time every year and study these wonderful chapters of the Bible. Romans 6 defines the salvation we have in Christ, our position in Christ. Romans 7 defines the struggle that we have in Christ, the struggle against our sin nature. But Romans 8, from which we draw our text this morning, it declares our surety in Christ. As a matter of fact, look at Romans 8, 1. It says, that there is, referring back to, there is therefore, referring back to Romans 6 and 7, now, not after you die, but now, therefore, there is now no, none, Zilch, no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk after the flesh, walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And then the remaining part of Romans 8 is a commentary on that one truth that there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't it wonderful the world condemns us? I mean, uh, we get criticized all the time and said we're unchristlike. I finally told one fellow in town one day, I said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to let the Bible tell me what's Christian, not you. Amen. And uh, he acted and said some words that weren't Christian and walked off. But anyway, the world may condemn us, and we might even backslide and condemn each other. But God Almighty in Christ Jesus does not condemn us. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. And so I want to talk to you about an aspect of the Christian's li uh, Christian's life in Christ Jesus that you have at your disposal. To me, it's one of the most encouraging of all texts, all few verses in the Word of God. And it's about a ministry of the Holy Spirit for the believer. And so let's begin and read verse... Uh, the, the screen says verse 24, but I want to start at verse 22. For we know, we, Christian people, God's people, we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit. We've got salvation. We've got the new birth. We've got regeneration. We've got the, the, the Christ in us, the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, that is, the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man sees, why does he yet hope for it? But if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience, endurance, wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself, now some translations may say itself, and that is a grammatical translation. The Holy Spirit's not an it, He's a Him, but that's following grammar. That's for the English teachers in the room. So you can say itself, Himself, and you're accurate, but it's the Holy Spirit who is the third person of the Godhead. Amen? But the Spirit Himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searches the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now, if you don't see that as one of the greatest blessings and possessions of the Christian, you will, when we get through expounding upon this text, you're going to leave here encouraged if you're a Christian. You're going to leave here on cloud nine if you're a Christian because what I'm about to share with you is exclusively found 
in and on and with and for those who are in Christ Jesus and nobody else. If you're without Christ today and you've never been born again, this is none of yours. You do not have this, what I'm about to share with you. You do not have this. This is for those who are in Christ Jesus, who are saved and born again. But the good news is you can have it before you leave. You can trust Jesus today and have this wonderful thing. So let me give you three things that this text teaches us about being a Christian and this great ministry of the Holy Spirit to us. First of all, we read about the believer's hope. Hope is a possession of the Christian. The world without Christ is hopeless. There is no hope in the context of in, that's in Christ Jesus as expounded in the New Testament. But if you're saved, the hope that the Bible speaks of here and elsewhere has been placed and put within you. And you have it in your heart. You have it in your life. You have it in your outlook if you will but appropriate it every day. Our text says we are saved by hope. You say, well, wait a minute, preacher. I thought we were saved by grace through faith. Absolutely. In the first fruits of the Holy Spirit, we are saved by grace through faith. You put your faith in Jesus and call upon the name of the Lord in repentance and confession of sin and, and ask Jesus to save you, believing the gospel. I want to tell you what, he'll forgive you of your sin. He'll save you. He will put you in a state of no condemnation, and you can be born again and, and have your life changed by the Lord Jesus Christ, by grace through faith. But here it says we are saved by hope. And it's because he's talking about that aspect of our salvation that we have not seen yet. We have not seen yet. See, the problem we're having when we look at hope in the New Testament is the fact that we speak English. English is what is called a living language. You familiar with that? Words meant one thing 25 years ago, but they mean something else now. Words, many words have, they, they don't have meaning, they have usage. Hope is one of those words. You follow me? For example, when it came time, when the last years of Miss Tracy's college saxophone playing, and it came time for me to ask her to marry me, somebody said, do you think she'll say yes? And I said, well, of course. No, I did not. That's a lie. I said, I hope so. Meaning that there was certain fear in me that she would say no. Meaning that there was a certain doubt in my mind. Meaning that at best, my hope for her to say yes was wishful thinking and optimism. And by the way, she said, sure. <laughs> Amen. I love having fun. Amen. And so that is hope in the terms of the English language. But this Greek word translated hope has hardly anything to do with the state of mind or the act of you or me hoping. But the Greek word has everything to do with that which is a reality waiting, that we are waiting upon. It is not objective, it is subjective. This is the idea of not, not wishful anticipation or wish, wishful expectation or even optimism. It speaks of the subjective Reality of what 
is ahead of us. And what is granted to us, but not yet realized in Christ Jesus. You see that all through the New Testament. The Bible speaks of the hope of Israel, who is Christ Jesus. Is Christ real? The Bible speaks of the hope of the gospel. Is the gospel real? The Bible speaks of, the, of, the, of Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's very real. It has nothing to do with your objective state of mind. It has everything to do with the subjective reality that is ahead of us in Christ Jesus. That's a wonderful truth. It's the reality of what God has set before us. It is the reality of our completed salvation that is soon to come. It's amazing, this hope that we have in Christ Jesus. It is the reality that God is not finished with us yet. We have our first fruits, but there's some more to come. He will bring us to glory. And while, wow, now listen, it is hope, it is hope for the adoption that we are in Christ Jesus. Look at the text. It says, waiting for this hope, while we hope, we wait for the adoption, that is the redemption of our body. The adoption. Now, the Bible speaks of us being adopted into the family of God, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. But here it speaks in terms of the adoption being future, that is the redemption of our body. Our spirits have been made alive in Christ Jesus. They are more alive and will never be more alive uh, than they are the moment you receive Christ. That is uh, our salvation when we're saved. We're quickened in spirit. Our soul, our mind, will, and emotion is in a continual state of spiritual growth, being saved, if you will. But one day our bodies will be saved. It's the last thing to be redeemed. God works from the inside out, and one day our bodies will be resurrected. And it is called the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Let me explain to you a little bit what Paul is talking about here. We've had this illustrated in our family about 21 years ago. Some of you may know, my, I have a younger brother and an older sister. My younger brother lives in San Antonio. Mickey, that means San Antonio, Texas. San Antonio. He has eight children. All of them are adopted. Every one of them. And there's a lot to that story. They have a great ministry. Seven of them are special needs. But the first one, the first one, 21 years ago, he's now a student at Houston Baptist University. His name is Copeland. They were able to adopt Copeland through a private adoption. The judge, or the lawyer rather, had done all the paperwork. Everything was was done legally. The judge put the gavel on it. Now all they had to do was wait and wait. All the legal work was done. They just had to wait. And then upon a day, they get a phone call, and they said, the lawyer said, you need to come to the airport and pick up your son. And on the way, they continued and completed the conversation. They will give him the name Copeland after my paternal grandfather. And they gave him Copeland, the name. The natural world reflects and gives us an example of the spiritual world. When you were saved, Stan Gartman, all the legal work was signed. It was brought to the judge who said, I approve. And we're just waiting 
for heaven's call, and he'll come down and get his sons. That's the adoption of the body. Amen. That's the redemption of the body. And to top off that cake, he'll give us a new name. I don't think it's going to be Copeland, but it's a new name. Isn't that a neat song? There's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine, it's mine. Amen. And so that is the believer's hope. It is signed, it is sealed, and it will be delivered. Matter of fact, to kind of switch up the analogy a little bit, God's going to turn all of planet Earth into an airport one day, and we're going to take off, amen, and be adopted. I want to tell you what, uh, I, I used to love to fly. I don't really like flying that much anymore because you, you always get uh, bumped and all that kind of stuff, and, 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 and airport food's not any good. But anyway, I want to tell you, I want to tell you this. Uh, often, I, sometimes I take an airplane ride, but one day I'm going to take a plane air ride. Amen. Isn't that good? Now, if that don't make you smile, you, you, something's wrong with you today. You need, to, you need to go back home and start over. Amen. But that's the believer's hope. That's what we have in Christ Jesus. But until the adoption, twice in these verses he says we have to wait. We wait for it. We wait for the adoption. We're, we're sitting there at the house waiting to hear from the judge, waiting to hear from the lawyer. We're, we're waiting, but we're not twiddling our thumbs because just like hope, the Bible word wait is different from our word wait. The word wait means to serve and to be obedient, like, like a waiter at a restaurant. He, he takes care and he serves and he provides. So we're busy in the Lord's work. And in the service of the Lord, as a matter of fact, we'll work till Jesus comes. And we work. Waiting is not wasted time. How many of you like to wait on things? How many of you have to wait every now and then on your wives to get dressed? Nothing wrong with that whatsoever. (laughs) They're worth the wait, aren't they? I learned Hebrew and Greek waiting on my sweet wife. <laughs> really. And it was worth the wait. I'm not, she knows it. I'd say, you ready to go? She says, get in there and study your Greek vocabulary. <laughs> I sure wish the rapture would be right now because I'm in trouble when I get on. <laughs> oh, boy, that's our hope. But we got to wait. And Bubba, when we wait, we live with and endure some issues. But hope is assurance, not wishful thinking. And assurance produces perseverance. And so that's a good thing. And the second thing he talks about is while we wait, he talks about the believer's hindrances. The believer's hindrances. He, he, he talks about them in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmity, our hindrances. While we hope, we have our hindrances, our infirmity. Now, do not, do not, let me say it again, do not get this word infirmity mixed up with iniquity. Iniquity is sin, and it will certainly hinder you in the work of the Lord and make your waiting seem more unbearable. But it's not iniquity here. It is infirmity here. Now, if we preach in elsewhere, we might deal with the iniquities of the believer, but right now we're in Romans 8, and we're talking about the infirmities of the believer. And the word means our weakness, our weaknesses. Now, we could preach a whole series of sermons on the weaknesses of the Christian. We we have the weakness of the flesh. We we fall asleep when we ought to be praying in the garden, right? We fall asleep when glorious things are happening on the Mount of Transfiguration like Peter, James, and John did. We have a lot of weaknesses. Sometimes the flesh is willing, but the spirit is weak. Sometimes the spirit's willing... But the flesh is weak, and the flesh is willing, and the spirit's weak. We just zapped. 
That's not what he's talking about, though. He gets a little particular, and, and he talks about our weakness when it comes to praying. So he gets real particular. He just doesn't say all of our weaknesses. He says, the Spirit helps us in our infirmity. Let me give you a good example when you go to pray. When you need to pray, you have weakness. Now, all of us have weakness. I know that because I have weakness, you have weakness, and the Bible says we have weakness when it comes to pray. And we have two weaknesses, two hindrances that when it comes time to pray that are outlined in this text for us. There's two things that hinder our praying in terms of our praying. Number one is the ignorance. Ignorance. I mean, you say, preacher, that's a harsh word. Well, it starts with an I, and the other one does too. It's a good outline. And here it says, he helps our infirmity, for we know not. When you don't know something, what does that mean? We're ignorant. I'm ignorant out of a whole lot more than I'm not. You are too. Ignorance. We know not what we should pray for. Now, let me clarify something real quick. We know more about prayer than we don't know. Don't let this scare you. You know more about prayer than, than you don't know. For example, you know that if you're obedient, you need to pray. Jesus didn't say, if you pray. He said, when you pray. The Bible says, pray without ceasing. The Bible says, men ought always to pray. So we know that if we're going to be right with the Lord, we need to be people of prayer. We need to pray. And we need to pray more. We know that. That's what the Bible says. And then we also know that prayer is hard work. It's not easy to pray, Cole. It's not easy. You have to sometimes have a great battle when you pray. The world and the flesh and the devil automatically get to attacking you. The devil will tell you it's no good. The flesh will say you're too tired. You need to do other things. The world will start calling you on your cell phone. And you will rudely interrupt a conversation with God to talk to somebody else. And then tell your kids, don't interrupt me. Woo! And so I want to tell you, we know prayer is hard work. You just got to pray it through. You got to battle it out. You got to keep on keeping on. It's perseverance. And when the devil comes against you in your prayer, you say, Satan, go home. That's a nice way to tell him to go somewhere. Amen. Get out. And so you know if you're right with the Lord, you need to pray. You know that. You know that prayer is hard. And you also know this, that prayer is talking to God. Prayer is talking to God. You must use speech. You must use words. That's in the Scripture. People say, well, I just, uh, I just pray without words. No, you don't. I don't know what that is, but it's not prayer. Prayer is talking to God. Jesus said, Jesus said, did you hear me? Jesus said this, when you pray, say, S-A-Y. The Holy Spirit inspired the prophet Hosea to say this about prayer. Take with you words and turn to the Lord. Say unto him. And render the calves or the sacrifices of your lips, saying, taking words, lips, sounds like praying is talking to God. So you got to have a, you, you got to speak to Him. It, it may not be audible words. Hannah prayed and, and, and it was not audible words, but God heard the words. 
but you use words. Prayer is talking to God. We know all that. We talk to God. So the ignorance that we have is not what prayer is, or not that we should pray. The ignorance that surrounds prayer is that we do not know what to pray for. And that's real particular. When, when you're under a burden, you don't know what to pray for in terms of that burden. When you have an issue, you just don't know what to pray for about it. The second weakness we have is not only ignorance, but it's inability. It's basically almost the same thing, but we, we are ignorant because we do not know what to pray for as we ought to. That's what the text says. We don't know what to pray for as we ought to. At times, you just don't know what to say to the Lord. You don't know exactly what to say. Now, sometimes you're under a burden, and you know exactly what to say. Because the Word of God tells us what His will is. And you know exactly what to say. You, you pray for your missions. You know exactly what to pray for the lost people on our mission list. You pray that, that the Lord would save them. And you pray the Holy Spirit would convict their hearts and draw them to Jesus. And you pray that God would give you the opportunity to speak the gospel to them and draw the net so they can be saved. You know how to pray that. That's God's wits all through the Scriptures. But you know what? There's some burdens and some issues and some problems and some calamities that you face in life and it come your way and will come your way and probably have come your way. And you don't know what the will of God is. You just don't know what to say. And you're ignorant about it. I've been there. And you're unable to say the words because you just don't know what to say. Life sometimes leaves us speechless. And we don't know what to say. Have you ever been there? Oh, well, that's what he's talking about. And this is an encouraging truth. What I'm about to share with you from God's Word will keep you in prayer. Because our third thing is the believer's helper. Verse 26, but the Spirit himself. But the Spirit himself. Preacher, I don't know what to say. God, I don't know what to say. God, I don't have the words. I need your help. And you open up the Bible and you read this. But the Spirit Himself helps us in our weaknesses. He helps us in prayer. He's our divine prayer partner. He helps our ignorance and He helps our inability. Isn't that a wonderful truth? Notice, I, I read, I wanted to make sure I emphasized the way the King James Version prints out the word or translates the word help, helpeth. In English today, we'd say helps. It helps, he helps, but helpeth. And that means it's present tense, constantly helping us. It's continuing to help us. This word helpeth, translated in verse 26, is one of my favorite words in all of the New Testament. I love this word. It is a word that in the Greek New Testament is 17 letters long. 17 letters long. That's a long word. And it's a compound word. It's made up of three different Greek words that they put together. The Holy Spirit put it together. And it conveys to us one of the most wonderful truths about the ministry of the Holy Spirit to and with the born-again Christian. The first word they put together means with. The second word that's in these 17 letters is the word, which means over against. Anti, over against. And the third is lambano, and it means to take with the hand to lay hold of with the hand. 
And so what he says is, he says the Holy Spirit, when we're ignorant about what we ought to pray for, and we, have, we are unable to speak the right words to the Lord, the Holy Spirit comes up against us and with us takes up the burden of prayer for us. Isn't that a wonderful word? Well, if you don't think so by that explanation, let me give you one more. This word helpeth, sunanti lambanatai, 17 letters, is used one other time in the New Testament. In Luke chapter 10 and verse 40. You don't have to go there, I'm going to tell you the story. In Luke chapter, it's the only other place in the New Testament where this word is used. Do you recall when Jesus was visiting in the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus? Remember that? And uh, Mary, along with, I'm sure there were many others, disciples and guests and, and everybody else, were sitting, and let's just get a graphic picture and put our sanctified imagination to work, sitting in the living room or the sunroom at the feet of Jesus. And Martha is in the kitchen, and she's cooking, and she hears a new guest come in and she's got to run to the, to the door to provide the basin so they can wash their feet. And then she goes back into the kitchen and she's, she's got to, oh, she's got to get the hors d'oeuvres ready and there's dirty dishes piled high in the sink. I mean, it is, it's a mess in the kitchen and she's bringing food out and taking trays back in and she's serving and she's serving. And then she gets a belly full of it. And she walks into the living room where Jesus is teaching. And she looks down and she sees Mary, Mary, sitting at the feet of Jesus. And she says, Lord, can't you see that I'm in this kitchen? I've got a pile of dishes in the sink. Dishwasher needs to be empty. Stove top is boiling over. The grits are going to be burned. I'm having all kinds of trouble. I'm going back and forth. And Mary is sitting here at your feet. And then he says this. King James says, Bid her, Lord, come and soon ante by me. Come help me. Same word. As in Romans 8. Bid her, command her, Lord, to come and help me in this kitchen. Well, Romans 8 says, When you don't know how to pray, and you're so overwhelmed, and you don't know the will of God, but you go into your prayer closet, and you sit down, or you kneel down, you put your hands in your your head in your hands, and you say, Lord, it's a great burden. I don't know what to say to you. I don't know what your will is. I don't even know if I can hold out for the adoption. I don't know. Well, this promise says the Holy Spirit gets up and rubs up against your shoulders in the kitchen. He gets in the kitchen with you. Amen. He stands by the hot stove top when it's burning up. He stands with you next to that pile of dishes and needs cleaning up. He'll even unload the dishwasher with you. Amen. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit when we pray. Now, folks, you're a Baptist. You should at least say amen, if not hallelujah. Look like a bunch of Episcopalians out there. Ah, glory. Glory, glory to God. We pray and he prays with us, with us. Well, I, what if I say something that's not in the will of God? Well, it already says you don't know. Go ahead and say it. God will take care of it. How does he do this? How does he do it? By his intercession. See, if you're a born-again Christian, you've got two people, two persons praying for you. 
Actually, you got one praying for you at the throne. The Son of God ever lives to make intercession for you. And you got one praying with you, the Holy Spirit. We got an intercessor with us and an intercessor for us. That's good. That's good theology. That's what the Bible teaches. And then he makes that intercession when we groan and sigh and just don't know what to say. He takes those groans with him. Turns them into the words that need to be said. See, the Bible says groans which cannot be uttered. And some people say, well, that's the Holy Spirit who can't utter them. Folks, he's God. He can do anything. There's nothing he can't utter. There's nothing he can't say. He has the words. He's God. And up here, when we read verse 22... Talked about creation groans and how we groan. And then down here it says we're still groaning. These are our groans. And the Holy Spirit takes our groans with Him. When we don't know what to say, He takes our groans, our sighs. That's what it means. Just being burdened down. Oh, a sigh. You just don't know what to say. He takes them with us. Joins with us in the kitchen. And wings them to heaven as our intercessor. And I want to tell you something. He is successful. How do I know he's successful? Verse 27. He that searches the hearts, that's God the Father. He knows the heart. Psalm 139, the singer said, Oh, search me. Thou hast searched me and thou hast known me. And the one who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. They're in union together. This is the Godhead Trinity. God knows what the Holy Spirit says. They are one with another. We, we can't express the words, but the Spirit can. He's not ignorant or unable. And God knows what is the mind of the Holy Spirit. Because He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of of God, according to the will of God. You don't know the will of God? The Holy Spirit knows the will of God. The Father knows the will of God, wouldn't you say? The Son knows the will of God. You just come to God with your groans and your sighs and your feeble attempts to talk to Him about it. And He'll take those groans with Him every time. Isn't that wonderful? So preacher, what do we do? What do we do? Well, four things, and I preach too long. Number one, be encouraged by this. Never quit praying. Pray without ceasing. Talk to Him. Talk to Him. Talk to the Lord. Don't quit praying. Come to Him and say, Lord, I, I don't have a clue what your will is. This is what I want. This is what I'm seeing down here on earth. But I don't know if it's your will or not. But I'm here to yield myself and pray. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who wings my groans to you with me. This morning I was reading a sermon by Charles Haddon Spurgeon from Isaiah. He was preaching from Isaiah. And this quote came across and I said, that's perfect. Lord, thank you for that. This is what he said about our groans as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. Searching of heart, anguish, groanings which cannot be uttered, and abounding intercession are the heralds of blessing. They are the sound in the tops of the mulberry trees which calls upon believers to bestir themselves in hope of victory. Keep on praying. The Holy Spirit's with you. Number two, do not cease praying. Be encouraged. Do not cease praying because of your ignorance and inability when you don't know what to say. Be honest with God about it. That's the thing. Just be honest with God. God, I don't know what to say. That's the words you can say. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to ask you for. The great Apostle Paul had this problem in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He had a thorn in the flesh. Now, we're not going to talk about what that is. There's a lot of discussion about what the thorn was. 
but it was a burden to him and it was a bother to him and he had his ideas. He wanted God to remove it. And he prayed three times and three times was enough. But let me warn you, three times may not be enough for you. It might be three years for your burden. It might be 10 years for your burden. It might be 30 years for your burden. But in this case, with this thorn, for this man, at this time, it was three, three times to pray. And then he said something remarkable. And he said unto me, the fact that God would speak to us is a miracle. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For in weakness, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. My strength, Paul, is made perfect in your weakness. And then Paul said, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure and rejoice in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, needs, in persecutions, in distresses. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's what the Apostle Paul prayed. See, he had a burden. He didn't know what the will of God was. He came before God. He was honest about it. He prayed it through as long as it took. And God gave him what he should have prayed because he's in partnership with the Holy Spirit. And that'll work for you, any burden you have. How many times have you begun to pray for a burden, something in your life, maybe a sick loved one, maybe a financial burden, maybe something you needed and you prayed and you kept praying and you praying. And at the last, when God answered the prayer, your prayer at the last was totally different from the prayer at the first. That's because the Holy Spirit bears witness with God the Father. And he knows what is the mind of the Spirit. And he took your groanings. The fourth, th third thing, remember this. It is always right. It is always right to plead the promises of God and to pray for His will to be done as revealed in Scripture. It is always right to plead His promises. God, you promised me. So you got a burden right now and you don't know what to say to the Lord? Go to Romans 8 and read this to the Lord. Read it to God and say, God, I'm just trusting your Holy Spirit to take my feeble groans and my sighs and my burden that I don't know what to pray for nor how to pray. I don't even have the words to say. I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to be with me and to guide me through. See, we start praying, God, we want to get through this. Well, it might be God wants to take you through prayer before he gets you through that. So he takes you through prayer so you can learn how to fellowship with the Holy Spirit in prayer. And then here's another thing. This is important. We learned it from Paul. You have to submit wholly to God's will. Paul, when God said, my grace is sufficient for thee. In other words, that's, that's cold talk for, I'm not about to remove your thorn. You're going to have to live with it. Paul said, well, that's not fair. How dare you do that to me? I've traveled the world, been beaten up, stoned to death almost because of you, and you're not going to remove this thorn. No, Paul said, most gladly therefore. You've got to be wholly dedicated to the Lord. Come what may his will is. James chapter 4 says, you don't have because you don't ask. This bears that out. I think there's a lot of things that we endure and do without and suffer and linger in is because we just don't pray. We just don't ask God to take us through it and God to bless and God to handle it. We don't. But then he went on to say in James 4, he says, and if you ask, you ask amiss. And that means to ask wrongly. You say, well, preacher, you just told us that you can't go wrong in prayer. Well, you can't. But let me tell you where you do. When you pray absent the intention of the glory of God. When you pray absent the, the, the intention of God receiving glory in the answer. 
That's when you ask Him this. It's all about the glory of God. I pray you leave here encouraged to pray. Knowing you're not alone in your prayers. I pray you leave here knowing Jesus as your Savior so this promise can be yours. Let's stand together for our song of appeal. We're going to um, extend the invitation like this. If you're not 100% certain that if you died today, you'd go to heaven. If you're not 100% certain that you're free from the condemnation of God, you know what? You probably aren't. And God's convicting hand, the Holy Spirit's convicting hand is upon you right now. And He's doing something else. He's drawing you to Jesus. And we want to help you come to Jesus. And the way you do that is, if you need to be saved today, you want Christ as your Savior. And you want relief from the conviction of the Holy Spirit for your sin. The way you can do that, one step you need to take is just get in this aisle or up there, come down, and Cole or I will be standing right here, and you tell us, Preacher, I want to be saved. That's all you got to say. And we'll take it from there. We'll help you. And then we'll teach you how to talk to the Lord and show you the Scriptures. The second invitation is this. Be encouraged. Dedicate yourself right now to being a prayer warrior with the Holy Spirit. It's God's command with this promise. You pray and folks, He will be with you. You will never know a more wonderful fellowship with the Holy Spirit than in the deep recesses of prayer. This is Cole Andrews. Thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. I just wanted to encourage you to visit our website, fbcosms.com.